You're listening to WJMSRadio.com, where radio is reimagined. The Fired Up Show starts right now. And welcome back. Welcome back to Monday here on Fired Up, right here on WJMSRadio.com and Double Mint Radio over in the UK. Greetings to our people over in the United Kingdom. We appreciate you joining us as always. This is Steve, and I'm the host each week as we get into what makes a political system here in the United States and in the UK, uh, what makes it tick, what makes it go around, what makes it happen. Uh, Each week we bring you uh, the news uh, of what's going on in the political realm. Uh, Appreciate you being here. Let's jump right in because we have a lot to unpack this week. Uh, It was a busy week last week with the Republican National Convention happening here in the U.S. And as I did the uh, previous week, we're going to look at uh, some of the highlights and some of the topics that were brought up in the first segment, kind of review the four days, uh, what was talked about, what was uh, uh, going on. And also, uh, in the second segment, we're going to do a compare and contrast between the Republican convention and the Democratic convention, including fact-checking the statements that were made and so forth. So, you know, let's get right into it. Uh, First, as always, let's check on our um, COVID report for the U.S. Uh, We have 5.97 million cases of coronavirus, COVID-19, with 183,000 people who have died from the disease. And over in the U.K., you guys continue to... uh, to show really low number trending. You have 334,000 cases reported and uh, 41,499 deaths uh, in the UK. Something I realized uh, in looking back over the last few weeks, particularly as I've now started tracking uh, numbers coming out of the UK, uh, where in the UK, uh, week over week, uh, you are generating between 90 and 100 people who are, are dying on a weekly basis from the illness. Contrast that with here in the U.S. where we are generating or we're, we're seeing about 1,000 people a day uh, dying from the disease. Our numbers increased more than 6,000 deaths just the week since our last show a week ago today. So, you know, continue to, to do what you're doing over there in the UK. Uh, I think you guys have found the strategy, and I think it's working. Uh, obviously, here in this country, we still have some ways to go in order to, you know, curtail this disease and keep it from spreading. Uh, in addition to events, as we'll talk about in a few minutes, that could likely see more spikes uh, showing up. In last week's show, I did discuss the Sturgis Bike Week uh, rally, which occurs as an annual event in Sturgis, South Dakota. And, uh, you know, they reported that there were more than 250,000 people in attendance. Well, we're, we're now a week, 10 days out from that event. And, you know, we've started to see some new spikes pop up here, particularly in the northern central states of the U.S., uh, the Dakotas, uh, Ohio, and so forth, where possibly tied to, you know, the attendance that occurred at the bike rally. So we'll we'll keep an eye on on what transpires and where the new spikes are popping up. 
uh, in related news, and, and as we'll talk about in, as we review the Republican convention, uh, this, unlike the Democratic convention, which was almost entirely virtual, that is, there were no crowds to speak of in attendance, uh, this one, uh, several events were attended by varying numbers of people, and one of the things that was evident in, in the, you know, as you watch these on television or on social media, was that one, you know, there was little, if any, social distancing, that is, people were sitting pretty much side by side, and, you know, there was only a small fraction of, of, masks that were uh, evident as being worn. And when I say small fraction, I'm saying, you know, in, in one of the events, there was, you know, 1,500 plus people there. And there may have been huh, 50, maybe 100 who were wearing masks as, a, you know, as, as required under current health guidelines and so forth. So we'll talk about that as we, we go through the events of the RNC. And, uh, you know, kicking that off, you know, Monday night, the, the first night, and, you know, it, it led off with speeches and presentations given by, you know, ordinary citizens and business owners and Republican candidates uh, for state office, notably a, a candidate from Baltimore. Uh, there was a doctor and also the chairman of the RNC spoke. And, you know, they, they kind of set the theme for what the week would, would contain in that they were all about, you know, praising the accomplishments of the current president, uh, casting, you know, aspersions on the Democratic Party and the Democratic nominee for president. And this included speech by Nikki Haley, who uh, spoke on the Democratic failures uh, of you know, policy and you know, foreign policy and so forth. And as, as you will note, and as I, I bring forward, especially when we talk in the compare and contrast section in the second segment, uh, it, it led off with uh, some not fully factual, and we'll, we'll talk about fact-checking, uh, but also uh, what was evident was a cherry-pick of the positive aspects of the Trump presidency uh, and no commentary on any of the problems faced or the challenges not met or, you know, other things that, you know, has, have not transpired over the course of, of the nearly four years of the Trump presidency. After Nikki Haley, uh, Donald Trump Jr. spoke about, again, primarily the good parts of Trump's record, uh, skipping over uh, pretty substantial chunks of things where he has not been, you know, as successful. For example, uh, he, you know, called out, you know, the decisive action of his father with regard to COVID and did not take into account the fact that the virus first appeared on our shores in January, uh, and yet, you know, any sub substantial and significant action on the part of the administration really didn't kick in until, you know, late March into early April, uh, which led to, you know, a, a significant number of people, you know, getting the virus and, and getting sick and dying. He, you know, spoke, you know, to this point and did not, you know, speak to the fact that had a, a, an earlier intervention occurred, 
more likely there would have been fewer deaths than occurred. He also spoke to the benefits received by um, black or people of color in this country under Donald Trump and, you know, again, didn't really uh, address any of the issues with both economic and social justice that we see in our country happening uh, over the course of this year and, and reaching a peak in the last uh, week, 10 days with events in Wisconsin. Again, we'll talk about those in a minute. Um, Donald Trump Jr. also cited that his father created the greatest economy uh, ever seen on you know, the, the face of the planet when you know, the truth is that they actually inherited a, a strong, you know, slowly growing, admittedly, but a strong and solid economy from the prior administration and really have kind of rode the momentum of that to you know, keep that going and, and really didn't you know, innovate the economy as we see it today. Uh, he also made statements um, that the, the unemployment rate in this country is the lowest that it has been in the last 50 years, when that has also you know, blatantly been debunked, that actually our current unemployment rate, and again, taking into account that we are under a pandemic and extraordinary circumstances, but still, to claim the lowest unemployment uh, rate is just factually you know, inaccurate. Uh, actually, our current unemployment rate is among the highest in the history of the country. Uh, again, you know, continuing on, some of the speakers spoke, you know, of their experiences, many of which were were heartfelt, but still played to the false narrative that you know everything that you know Donald Trump has done and the Republicans have done, you know, has ended up turning into gold when in fact. You know, a lot of the things that could have been done uh, still have yet to be you know, enacted or even uh, brought up for you know, final debate in the Senate uh, for you know, going to the, the president for his signature. Um, and then, you know, the, the first night concluded with comments by, you know, Tim Scott uh, a, the, the only black Republican, uh, in the Senate, uh, he was calling on, you know, black people in particular, but people of color in general to abandon the Democratic Party because they don't give any clear message on, you know, if, you know, the benefits they're proposing are in fact real. And again, you know, there, there's room there to argue the point on the factual nature of his statements as well. Continuing on, Kimberly Guilfoyle uh, spoke and there was also some challenge, not only of the content of her speech, but the delivery of her speech. Uh, she was extremely loud and, and you know, giving her speech as if she was speaking in a crowded arena with you know, tons of background noise when in fact, she was speaking as, as most speakers were, and in, in both conventions, to empty rooms with mostly television crews as an audience. Um, but yet, you know, she was, was speaking so that, you know, people, you know, way up in the, the nosebleed section of an arena could hear her, you know, as well as, you know, again, painting a, a partial picture of, of nothing but the highlights, the good points of the Trump administration. 
But mostly what came off was that her giving this speech in full voice as if she was speaking in a crowded and noisy arena rather than an empty room with a few television cameras in attendance uh, really came off as, as being shrill and not really you know, passionate. You know, so uh, as you listen to it, you, you almost wanted to you know, hold up one finger and go, shh, quiet down, you know, hush, hush, hush. You don't have to speak that loud. Um, following her was a gentleman by the name of Maximo Alvarez, and, uh, and, and following him were a, a pair of twins from Guatemala who were praising Trump on his immigration successes uh, you know, over the last four years. And again, painting the positive, ignoring the, the rest of it, didn't talk about you know the the Muslim ban in travel, the you know continued uh, struggle with you know trying to curtail immigration across the southern border, um, you know the 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 battles and rhetoric that were put out about the wall, the insults and and slurs that had been levied against immigrants coming into the country. And all of these things were not discussed by, you know, these three people who actually were in a really good position to offer some real firsthand, you know, honest ad advice and, and counsel on, you know, the value and benefit of immigration uh, and how that contrasts with the approach. Now, again, the object of the Republican Convention is to praise, promote, and push forward the Republican agenda and the administration in general. So, you know, some leeway to that could be granted. However, you know, much was not discussed that could have been. And then the, the I'll call it the high point, but the, the closeout of the night came as um, the McCloskeys, and you may recall them if you've watched any TV or social media in the last few weeks, uh, was the couple who came out in front of their house uh, armed with a, an assault rifle and a handgun as a you know, Black Lives Matter protest group were moving past them in their neighborhood uh, to the mayor's house to conduct a protest. And they stood out and were pointing these weapons at the protesters who were not getting on their property, were not setting foot on their property, were merely passing by. Uh, they were, you know, you know uh, portrayed in a prime spot, sitting in, you know, a very, you know, luxurious and elegant looking setting uh, and, you know, talking and promoting the Second Amendment and their right to protect their property, which they have. Uh, but all the same, you know, not really taking into account the fact that pointing a, a weapon, uh, and I assume it's loaded, uh, pointing a loaded weapon at someone else is, you know, a, a federal crime. It's felony threatening. And, you know, there is no, you know, uh, any, any kind of realization, you know, admitted that by these, this couple that, you know, they realized that what they were doing, you know, may have been illegal. And in true fact, they were actually, you know, arrested and charged with the crime. 
but again, you know, they were painted as American heroes for standing up with arms, uh, you know, to protect their property. And again, they have the right to protect their property. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, the idea that you can, you know, just point these weapons at people who are, are no more threatening to you other than they are walking past your house uh, really kind of, of speaks to, you know, some level of, in my opinion, hypocrisy. So in day two, we had the first of several uh, uh, things that, you know, were called into question about uh, political use of government property, which is a violation of the Hatch Act. And this was the, a ceremony that was conducted inside the White House where a, a gentleman, a uh, black gentleman by the name of John Ponders, uh, received a full pardon from President Trump uh, for his conviction uh, and sentencing to prison. Uh, and, you know, it, it is, on, on the one hand, uh, this gentleman was absolutely deserving of a pardon. There, there was no argument about that. The case was shaky at best. You know, there were all kind of problems with it. He was convicted and imprisoned wrongly. And, you know, the president was, was absolutely within his purview to issue him a pardon. The problem comes in is that that is a political event. It was done as part of a campaign, uh, specifically the convention, but it was conducted you know, inside the White House, which is government property, again, which violates the Hatch Act. So, you know, while I, I approve of, you know, pardoning of John Ponders, uh, the mechanism and the method in which it was done really leaves something to be desired. So from there, we get, you know, into Pam Bondi, who you may recall in, in, in Florida, I believe she was the attorney general in Florida, uh, who was, you know, forced to resign amid a, a finance scandal. Um, and she brought out and, and rehashed the Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, Ukraine issue, um, again, f focusing on the, ro the role or the alleged role uh, that Hunter Biden played and that you know, Joe Biden played in events that occurred in Ukraine uh, while you know, leaving out the, the fact that you know, the, the uh, Trump administration uh, held the Ukrainian government hostage, in effect, uh, withholding funding and military weapons needed uh, in order to, to push forward a, a Trump agenda on getting dirt on Joe Biden ahead of the election coming up. Um, you know, he, she also brought out, you know, the fact that, you know, in, in her words, Joe Biden threatened Ukraine unless they fired a minister who was, you know, anti, you know, a, a position of the Obama administration at the time. And, you know, as a result, apparently, you know, you know, and, and subsequent to this alleged threat, uh, this minister was in fact removed from power. So again, you know, a, a fractured story where some elements that are relevant to the overall thread were passed over, passed by, and so forth. Um, the second 
event that calls into question as a potential Hatch Act violation was a naturalization event for five you know, individuals uh, to become sworn in as American citizens. And again, this was held in inside the White House. Um, you know, clearly this was a politically, uh, a political campaign uh, event as it was occurring in real time and live as part of the RNC convention. Um, so, you know, again, while the, the swearing in of new citizens to this country uh, is in fact a great and powerful thing, conducting it in the White House uh, could call into effect a violation of the Hatch Act. Um, so, you know, and, and also, let me, let me just tag on to that. Um, it's great that these five citizens received their citizenship, but there are tens of thousands of others whose ceremonies have been put on hold uh, and, you know, uh, or, or delayed or, or otherwise, you know, aren't happening uh, due to COVID and other considerations that really kind of flies into the, the face of this. So, you know, there, there, there's more on, on the Hatch Act uh, potential violations there. Uh, Eric Trump also spoke on day two. Uh, his attacks on Biden uh, included, you know, defense is a taking a knee uh, approach as, as started by Colin Kaepernick four years ago. Uh, he cited Biden wants to defund police. You know, again, a, a fractured part of the statement. Biden has never said that he wants to defund the police. He has stated that, you know, he wants to make funding of the police contingent on some additional training and other things related to, you know, policing and, and, and law and order and safety in this country. And we'll talk about that. Uh, in the compare and contrast. And then the final one, the final element that really kind of, of called out, you know, potential Hatch Act was the Secretary of State Mike Pompeo doing a live or, or doing a, a speech, I'm not sure if it was live or recorded, uh, to the convention from Jerusalem. And again, while not a government facility, he was in Jerusalem on government business, but was conducting a campaign-related uh, action. Uh, the closeout of the night was a speech from, you know, uh, First Lady Melania Trump. Uh, and here again, as I think I mentioned earlier, there were between 75 and 100 people in attendance in the Rose Garden, sitting side by side, uh, not wearing masks. Uh, in, in, in fairness to the First Lady, uh, she gave a, a pretty good speech. Uh, she hit some very good points and, and touched on some, some humanitarian issues and, you know, regarding children and education, which is her, her thing as First Lady. And uh, overall, you know, a, a good speech. Again, the venue uh, was questionable. Um, Larry Kudlow also spoke uh, on day two, uh, talking about, you know, the, the Trump uh, handling of the economy, citing that, you know, Donald Trump inherited a lagging economy 
that actually is, was kind of in a pre-recession fall. And this has absolutely been debunked many times that Trump you know, came into office inheriting an economy that had been growing pretty much throughout the Obama presidency you know, for the eight years. Unemployment was falling, you know, economic growth was happening, the stock market was rising. All of the indicators they like to call out were actually in a pretty sound shape. Again, the growth rate was slow. But, you know, given the economic conditions of the time and things going on, uh, we still were in a positive growth and weren't, you know, in any way heading toward a recession, which is defined as two contiguous quarters of negative economic growth. So, you know, Larry Kudlow obviously was, was fracturing the facts uh, and, and continuing on with that. Um, so let, let's take a pause here. We'll break and then we'll come back and pick up with um, day three and day four of the Republican convention. You're listening to Fired Up Radio right here on WJMSRadio.com and in the UK coming out of Edinburgh, Scotland on Double Mint Radio. We appreciate your tuning in. We'll be right back after this quick break. Check for me. Taking 
Fired Up Radio right here on WJMSRadio.com and Double Mint Radio uh, in the UK. Uh, We're talking about the Republican National Convention, which happened last week, and we're at day three of the four nights of the RNC. And uh, we opened up as as every night opened up uh, with a a prayer uh, or benediction given uh, by a member of the clergy. And something I noticed, uh, particularly in the Republican conventions, but also to an extent in the Democratic, uh, is if you closed your eyes and weren't watching the the video and weren't aware that the person you were listening to was in fact a member of the clergy, it could be argued that their their prayer was uh, very politically tainted. Uh, Just something I observed. Um, And, you know, wasn't what maybe we were used to in hearing a prayer to to sound like just just putting that out there um the the speakers that evening uh including uh, a speech by karen pence wife of uh, vice president mike pence and uh several of the speakers uh most of which uh, actually were women of color uh mentioned that uh, day three was actually the 100th anniversary of the woman's suffrage movement and the signing of the 19th Amendment, giving women the right to vote here in this country. Uh, something was noted is that they cited, you know, many of the leaders of the women's suffrage, you know, movement of the time, uh, and uh, pretty much the only woman of color they, they spoke about uh, was Sojourner Truth, uh, leaving out a, a list of dozens of women of color who were equally in the forefront of the women's suffrage movement. Uh, I, I won't go into the list here, but I'm going to post a link to it on my Facebook page, which, by the way, is at facebook.com forward slash fired up radio. Uh, so you can go check that out. That will be up and posted um, by the time this show airs. And, you know, it, it, it again points out that, you know, telling the story. Uh, in in bits and chunks, uh, sometimes leaves out some very relevant context, and and I'll, I'll leave it at that. Uh, there were many women of color who, even though once the Nineteenth Amendment was put in place, uh, still were not able to fully exercise the vote due to you know uh, voter suppression and Jim Crow and segregation and so forth. Uh, but yet these women were out fighting for the rights of all women. Um, so, 
and, and that ties into what was an overarching theme of the Republican convention. There was a very definite, very pronounced uh, outreach to women and minority voters, particularly uh, in, the, in the RNC version, um, black men who, you know, had voted in, in numbers uh, for Trump in 2016, and they were definitely looking to peel off as many black male voters as they could uh, for the upcoming election. Um, Vice President Pence spoke at Fort McHenry, and you know he gave you know a, a technically very solid speech. Uh, his speech was you know well well stated, well presented, um, you know, and you know was was given with the right tenor and tone for a political speech and a campaign uh, at a historic setting. Um, but yet he still. Uh, you know, contained a lot of the, the, the dog whistle topics that have populated the Republican campaign to date. Uh, for example, you know, there was little mention of, you know, the impacts of the COVID virus uh, on, you know, the economy and, and all of that. While there was an acknowledgement that, you know, a lot of people have become ill and a lot of people have died in this country, uh, it really was spun in a, a method that showed that the Trump administration was on top of the problem and from day one of the virus hitting the shores, they had been decisively acting, you know, to protect the American people, which is less than factual, let's, let's say it that way. He continued to send the message, the economic growth that, you know, America has seen, even amidst the, the pandemic, uh, is in fact attributable to the Trump administration and really, again, did not give a whole lot of attention to the fact that they inherited a, a solid running economy, you know, on day one when they took office. The, as I said, the, the bulk of the speakers uh, for day three were actually people of color, you know, to the credit for the RNC for, for being you know, more inclusive than they have been perceived to be uh, through the campaign thus far. You know, then this brings us to day four. This continued in this, this very pitched approach to African-Americans uh, in general and African-American male voters in particular. Three, three speakers, African-Americans, uh, spoke to you know, why, you know, a, a couple of them were Democrats and why they were voting Republican and defending their position as being Republican uh, in saying the Democrats have not done anything to, quote, earn the black vote, close quote. Uh, and in fact, you know, they, they cited, you know, you know, Biden's, you know, statement for which he has apologized for profusely, you know, that, you know, if you ain't, bl if you ain't voting for Biden, you ain't black, uh, which, which was a, you know, a, a very callous thing to say, no argument about it. But, you know, Joe Biden, you know, within a few hours, it realized it, admitted it and apologized for it. But yet the Republicans continue to try to hang that around his neck like an anchor.
then we had a gentleman by the name of Dana White, who is the who is the chairman of the UFC, uh, which is a mixed martial arts uh, uh, fighting association. And, you know, he spoke on Trump's action uh, against COVID as, you know, being decisive and starting in you know, early to mid April, which, as I mentioned before, was fully, you know, three months into the COVID virus being present on our shores. And, you know, no mention of, you know, the fact that the disease actually arrived in January and was, was roundly downplayed by President Trump and the Republican administration uh, as something that, you know, would not be a problem, would evaporate or magically disappear and so on and so forth. So uh, again, a partial presentation of the facts, uh, highlighting the positive and you know, really uh, making almost invisible the things that didn't work out right. Uh, another key speaker that night uh, was Rudy Giuliani. And R Rudy went on you know, what could be classified, I guess, as kind of a rant or tirade uh, attacking the the Democrats and the left in general and progressives and calling out Black Lives Matter, Antifa and Congressman uh, Ocasio-Cortez, you know, and others by name as being agitators and perpetrators of the violence that we're seeing on the streets, which actually is, you know, not true. Uh, there has not been uh, uh, overwhelming or you know, widely publicized evidence of Black Lives Matter members instigating violence. Uh, actually, to the contrary, uh, several of the instigators of nights of violence that we have seen actually turned out to be you know, third-party uh, radical uh, antagonizers, uh, some of which were white uh, who were you know instigating and and seg setting up the the scenarios for the violence that we've seen over the weeks you know and months of this year uh, one most notably and as it was reported last week uh, so-called umbrella man was actually identified as a member of a right-wing white nationalist group uh, who was seen on video uh, walking along with a hammer and his, his umbrella and a black hoodie and face mask, smashing windows at an AutoZone store ahead of marchers, uh, essentially offering them an open invitation to loot. In, in all of the mentions, and, and by, ne by this point in the convention, the shooting of uh, Jacob Blake uh, had made the news and was was trending virally uh, around the internet, as well as the Kenosha, Wisconsin uh, incident involving a 17-year-old white male who drove across state line to, quote, protect property, close quote, in Kenosha, and ended up shooting uh, three people and killing one. And, you know, as video has shown, He's walking down the street past approaching police vehicles and armored, you know, personnel carriers with law enforcement with his hands up. And, you know, they just drive by and, you know, I guess essentially give him the okie doke uh, while, you know, Jacob Baker uh, was shot seven times in the back. Uh, 
uh, arguably and allegedly uh, because he was going for a knife in the vehicle that he was trying to get into after, you know, tussling with police. And, you know, the, the, the contrast between these two events is something that has created a lot of controversy in this country. Uh, and I'm sure it, it, as, as the news and images and, and statements have gone around the world via the Internet, uh, is creating conversation uh, all across uh, the globe as a result. And, you know, the, the conclusion of the fourth night was, of course, the acceptance speech uh, by the president of the nomination for re-election uh, by the Republicans. And, you know, the, the, the speech by Donald Trump uh, was notable, uh, number one, in that he held it on the South Lawn of the White House. Again, you know, arguably skirting or walking the line on the Hatch Act. Uh, preclusions against using government property for political purposes, uh, but more importantly, and m- more noticeably, there were uh, anywhere from 1,500 to 2,000 people who were in attendance, sitting side by side, uh, and you know a a fractional percentage of them were wearing masks. In in that crowd, you know, some estimates were that maybe as many as 100 or 150 people were actually wearing a mask. Uh, In addition, it was reported that uh, testing for COVID, uh, which is policy for anyone entering the White House, uh, was only limited to those sitting in the first few rows of the, the gathered crowd and not everyone coming in. So, you know, again, much like the rally in Sturgis, we will have to see if this turned out to be a super spreader event and if we will see some spike in the Washington, D.C. area uh, where, uh, you know, the majority of these people were coming in from. Uh, So, you know, we'll have to keep an eye on on D.C. and Virginia and Maryland to see if a noticeable spike occurs as a result of attendance at this rally for the president. And, and finally, the event closed out with a fireworks display, uh, with you know, political fireworks displaying Trump 2020 uh, that were launched from you know, the, the vicinity of the Washington Monument. Granted, you know, I, I'm a kid at heart when it comes to fireworks, and it was an you know, exceptional display. But again, you know, it, it really calls out that, you know, this president has made it a habit of using, you know, the trappings of his office, uh, you know, for his political purpose. And in, in one point in his speech, you know, he, you know, he says to the people, you know, that you know, the Democrats, you know, wish, wish they were here you know, but we are, we are here, and he turns and he, you know, points and, and gestures to the White House as if to say, we got this, you all don't, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, uh, it, it really, um, the, the Republican convention really um, it had some elements to it that, you know, just kind of could leave a sour taste in your mouth. Uh, even, I imagine, for some Republicans, there have to be 
some of these events, whether it's the swearing, the, the, the citizenship ceremony, uh, or the pardon, or you know, the First Lady's speech in the Rose Garden, or the rally on the South Lawn, uh, that you know, really raised the question about, you know, does this administration understand the Hatch Act and the reason we have it? So, you know, just some food for thought. Uh, you know, we're going to move into now uh, talking and comparing and contrasting uh, the two conventions. But before I get into that, I do want to know, you know, what do you think of the Republican convention uh, specifically? What were your thoughts? What were your likes? What were your dislikes? Uh, and, you know, in, in contrasting that with the Democratic convention the week prior, uh, you know, who do you think presented the better message? Who do you think uh, did uh, a better job? You know, did it resonate with you? So, you know, give me your thoughts. Send them in an email to firedupradio at yahoo.com, which is our email address here at the show. And I really encourage, you know, getting some feedback. Uh, and, you know, I will dig into it. You know, we can dialogue on it. Uh, you know, I can reply and we can comment and we can have a discussion. And I'll, I'll bring, you know, any emails that I get to the show in, in coming weeks. And, and like I said, we can talk about it. I love to get feedback on the show. I read all the emails that come in. Uh, I'd love to read a whole lot more. So if you're out there and if you're listening, uh, you know, please make sure that, you know, you communicate. Give us feedback. That's what makes our show better. And again, that's firedupradio at yahoo.com. Uh, when you go to our Facebook page, feel free to comment back on our Facebook comments. Uh, make sure you like and subscribe to our Facebook page so that you will continue to get updates directly to your Facebook account. And the same thing with our Twitter account, which is uh, up at Twitter. And it's the at symbol, A-R-E, the letter U, fired up at, you know, on Twitter. So, you know, let us know what you think. Um, all right, let's transition now to uh, a compare and contrast on the two conventions. So, uh, again, in, in my opinions, and I would say, you know, in looking back over the Democratic convention and contrasting it with the Republican convention, uh, clearly, you know, the Republicans had the advantage because the Democrats had already gone. They had the, the benefit of having seen the message and having a chance, at, at least in some respect, to respond to, you know, any allegations that came out of the DNC uh, and, you know, tailor their message a little bit to respond to those. Um, but, you know, again, in my opinion, and, you know, comment back at firedupradioyahoo.com. And I, I think the Democratic convention had a more heartfelt feel to it overall. Um, you know, I think they touched on many of the themes of issues going on in our country through the last four years and, and prior that uh, have really created concerns among the communities, particularly the, the poor and dis disenfranchised and communities of color, uh, with you know, the, the shortcomings of the Trump administration in regard to how 
minorities are treated, how we're perceived, and you know, overall, how our policies are impacting the nation as a whole. Uh, the Republicans you know, made a very strong case for their president, for the Republican administration. Uh, they did a, a good job at you know, getting their core message out, and I think they were speaking very directly, not only to their base, but also you know, at, in an effort to recruit as many new Democratic converts as they could to the Republican ticket, um, as you know, the Democrats were doing the same in in bringing you know Republican speakers who were going to vote for Biden uh, into their convention and speaking to potentially disenfranchised Republican or conservative or 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 right leaning independent voters. Um, so, you know, on those two scores, you know, the conventions both kind of hit their marks. I just think the Democratic convention was a little more feeling toward, you know, the collective angst that we have as a country right now, both due to COVID, uh, the shutdowns, the, you know, the unemployment and all of those elements. Uh, they spent a lot of time talking to those points and addressing them from a policy standpoint uh, on what they would do. Vice President Biden made uh, some very clear distinctions on what his agenda will be uh, should he become the 46th president of the United States. Um, the other thing I think uh, where the Democrat convention had an edge was the level of inclusion and diversity uh, that they had in the in the presentations and in the speeches and in the speakers uh, was broader than what the Republicans uh, brought to their convention. Now, granted, the Republicans had a uh, probably a larger number of minority speakers than the Democrats did. If you you know take out of the equation. Uh, the roll call of states in the Democratic Convention, because uh, a lot of a lot of those uh, people who were standing up, the delegates were actually people of color, minorities, uh, you know, uh, indigenous people, and so forth. Um, you know, but again, as I said earlier, the Republicans were on a pointed mission to appeal to African American male voters, uh, specifically to African-American female voters as well, but also to other disenfranchised uh, people and minorities uh, who, for, for one reason or another, have become you know, disaffected of the Democratic Party and platform. Um, but you know, the, the, the Republican message was consistently uh, about praising Donald Trump, highlighting uh, the positive, you know, aspects as they see it uh, of his administration over the last four years, uh, not giving a whole lot of discussion to the challenges that remain unmet or the challenges that remain as we move forward into the next four years uh, in this country. Uh, so, you know, there is a lot to, to uh, unpack. Uh, I did do research on you know, fact-checking, and the resulting document is 20 pages long. The Republicans ended up having more of 
you know, their content and the statements and claims that they made being fact-checked as being, you know, either outright false or misleading or, you know, uh, out of context. Uh, in, in other words, not 100% quote truthful, close quote, uh, my word, not theirs. And, you know, while the Democrats had some, you know, including some statements made by for former First Lady Michelle Obama, uh, where, you know, they too stretched it, you know, stretched the truth, uh, highlighted the positive, downplayed the negative, uh, which we expect from, you know, our, our political leaders and, and our political process uh, as we go forward. Um, but overall, you know, the Republicans overwhelmingly uh, told more whoppers than the Democrats did. Uh, there is a fact checker who reports to CNN uh, who just on President Trump's speech on the last night uh, of the convention uh, counted at least 20 statements that were made that could be fact checked as either false, misleading, or you know disingenuous uh, or incomplete. Uh, and you know I, I think you know it it is it's a sad state when you know we almost have to have you know when when a politician is giving a speech. Uh, we're, we're kind of getting to the approach where on one side of the screen, if you're watching it, there'll be a person who is, you know, uh, presenting it in American Sign Language for those that are hard of hearing. And we're probably going to end up with someone on the other side, uh, you know, doing a thumbs up, thumbs down fact check in real time uh, of the statements being made. Uh, uh, related to that, there is discussion and, you know, the actually the Republicans have you know, accused Joe Biden of calling for a fact checker to be you know, on stage for the presidential and vice presidential debates uh, to, you know, to real-time fact check uh, the, the statements being made. Uh, this you know, is, is an idea that has been bounced around. However, fact checking, uh, you know, former Vice President Biden has not made a call to have a fact checker uh, in real time, live on the stage with them during the debate. Uh, this is a statement being attributed to him, which obviously is not accurate. So what I'm gonna do is I have the document uh, on the fact checking claims made during both the RNC and DNC. Uh, and this was done by a, a uh, TV station you know, out of the Midwest and I will post uh, the document and the link to the website where it can be found uh, on my Facebook page, along with uh, a document in another subject um, that I want to touch on briefly before we end the show here. So look for that on the Facebook page. Uh, it'll be up by the time this show airs. And then finally, the last thing I want to talk about is something that just came across uh, my news feeds uh, on Sunday as I was doing my final research. And the, the social media group Rock the Vote has filed a countersuit against President Trump who issued an executive order uh, outlining restrictions on social media and how 
they are you know fact checking and and uh, policing political posts in social media. Uh, he's actually suing uh, Twitter for removing two of his tweets because of their political content, as well as signing an executive order which would uh, peel back some of the liability protections that tech companies and online platforms have. And you know, this is part of what the lawsuit by Rock the Vote and other uh, social media platforms are taking to, to combat this and you know, basically you know, saying it's not our job to be the content police of social media platforms. Uh, we use them like everybody else does. So, you know, we're going to follow up on this in, in the coming weeks as this suit progresses. But I will post the article uh, as well on my Facebook page. So it'll be there for you to read and draw your own conclusions. And again, you know, I, I'd love to get opinions on what you think. And you can email them to the show email at firedupradio at yahoo.com. Please make sure uh, you get to our Facebook page, uh, like and subscribe so that, you know, we know that you're out there. And the same thing with our Twitter page. The uh, Facebook page is, you know, facebook.com forward slash fired up radio. And we tweet at are you fired up on Twitter. So that's going to do it for this week. Uh, it's been a packed week. Uh, there's still some things that we didn't get to that we will pick up next week. As always, I appreciate your listening. I encourage you to feed back to the show. Let me know what you think. And, you know, make sure that, you know, you continue to stay safe, you know, stay protected, protect yourselves and your loved ones. And I look forward to speaking to you again in seven days. Take care. And especially out there to you guys in the UK, again, welcome. I uh, appreciate your listening. Uh, we'll talk to you as well uh, in seven days. Bye-bye, everybody. message wherever you stand I'm calling every woman calling every man we're the generation we can't afford to wait the future started yesterday and we're already late